Today's episode 001 of the Vox 114 Technology Podcast, and I am excited for today's episode. Not only is it our very first show of this podcast, but we interview a great guest on six key topics instrumental for any IT professional. Moving buildings from an IT perspective, how do you keep your internal staff as well as your company customers up and running even when you're moving both buildings from a staff perspective as well as moving your entire data center? System online. The human equation. The critical strength of being good with people to such a degree that you're able to sell your successes and focus on the importance of expanding your soft skills even maybe more importantly than your hard technical certifications or knowledge. I apologize for nothing. Navigating a Microsoft licensing audit. Dealing with Microsoft licensing is always a joy of any IT person's life. And we share a few tips that we have learned over the years. You are a huge nerd. Finding and building a strong network of people and vendors to rely on. Some very interesting and clever ways for utilizing Microsoft Teams. Get back to work, you slacker. And finally, the biggest security threat facing a business network today. Ready, set, go! Information technology, network security, cloud computing, artificial intelligence, and time travel? Well, perhaps not time travel. Welcome to the Fox 114 Technology Podcast. If NASA listened to this podcast in the 60s, we would be living on Mars instead of trying to get back to the moon. Bringing you in-depth guest interviews with today's leaders in IT technology. Here's your host, John Manley. Welcome to the Vox 114 Technology Podcast. I am your host for the show, John Manley. On today's episode, we have a great guy, IT manager and security officer with over 25 years of IT experience, Mr. Tony Aiello. Tony, are you there? Hi. Hello, John Manley. How are you? Awesome, Tony. How are you doing today? Good. Great. Excited to take part in your uh, new podcast venture. I'm excited to have you on. You're definitely on the top of my list, so I appreciate you making some time around the holidays. I know things can be a little hectic this time of year. So a couple of weeks ago, you and I had talked, and you had mentioned that you were playing the Darth Vader game on virtual mm-hmm. reality. How was yeah. that? I never got a chance to take a look. It was fun. It's fun to, that the, the virtual reality setup can still surprise me because I've had it now for a couple of years, and uh, it's something else to see. Darth Vader sort of life-size in front of you. Right. Did yeah. you tell him who was your father? Did you mention that to him? I tried, yeah. there's. Uh, he was a little limited in his response. <laughs> hey, we're, we're advanced, but we're not that advanced yet. <laughs> well, and there are parts, there are, there are vast swaths of the game where they're pretty much just sort of lecturing at you, and so you're taking your lightsaber and saying, oh, what, is he, what does he do if I poke him with it? Oh, nothing, okay. What if I poke this? Oh, nothing, you know. What if I poke him in the bum? Does he do anything? Yeah. <laughs> oh, he does do something. <laughs> he lectures me again. Yeah, we're not. Even Darth Vader these days is politically correct. So try to try to keep it straight, okay? He always stays within the lines. <laughs> he does. He, he's very conscious of what people might think, especially now that he's owned by Disney. Right. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I know you just went through it recently, is you guys just moved buildings from an IT perspective. What was the biggest challenge? with moving buildings and get everybody moved over both from a user perspective as well as network server side yeah well 
the biggest challenge is always uptime, right? So you have to be able to keep your customers going. Customers in this context being the employees of the company you work for, um, whether, you know, customers are internal, external. You want to make sure that you can keep uh, supplying the services that you offer. So one of the challenges that we had was that before the actual move, we were moving all of our servers out to a data center. So we were able to accomplish that before the, the move move. And then we sort of lucked out in this particular one. This was my fourth office move. And probably the best that it's ever gone, but I was able to get into the new location weeks beforehand and build out the network so that it was almost sort of a forklift process of users shutting down laptops in one building and opening them back up in a new building. I, you know, there were still some hurdles that we had to overcome, but for the most part, it was, it was pretty successful. And a lot of that was due to careful planning and experience of having done it before. So the biggest benefit that you did there to to make that as seamless as possible is definitely the the proactive planning ahead of time. The fact that you were able to get into the new building ahead of time had to make a huge difference. I know I've yeah. run into uh, folks most recently in August of this year. Uh, I had a customer moving buildings and it was, I want to say... August 15th approximately and they still had not, their lease expired on August 30th and the new building had not had this lease signed on August 15th yet. Oh no. <laughs> so the move did not go well. Yeah. <laughs> Take 6 weeks approximately to get like an ISP and all those things set up. So yeah, yeah, it was very beneficial for you to be able to plan that out. When you plan that out, are you you rely pretty heavily on documentation kind of laying out an exact Here's our timetable. Here's what we're going to do when. Here's ABC. We had the benefit of, uh, we have a large PMO at our company. So we had the benefit of the manager of the project management department running the project. So he, he had all of those pieces. We were able to build that out from the IT side and then all the other aspects of the, cause it was a full build out. It was a, it was a demo of the existing building and a build out of the new building. So there were, ton of so many moving pieces that had to come together you know right, right. at the right moment where you know, it's like landing a plane the, the landing gear is coming down and the, and the plane's going down so it's it's one of those action movie sequences where the gear touches the tarmac just as it locks into position and then harrison ford jumps out of the side of the building and yep. stops mm -hmm. terrorists get off my plane Wait, I'm going to be the Harrison Ford in our conversation now <laughs> moving forward. So, yeah, we're, we're good. So what did you learn this move? You know, generally you, you learn mm -hmm. something new every time. What would be the one big lesson you walked away that you previously had not run across with a building move? That is a, that is a good question. There's always going to be something that you forget and leave behind. Uh, the only way that you can attempt to mitigate that as much as possible is, is to truly know your environment, know what the environment's going to look like, you know, when it's all set up and, and rolling and kind of know the other pieces that are in play. You know, there was a lot that I obviously had to wait on the construction to finish, you know, before I could hang my wireless access points. Right. Or the uh, inspections to happen before I could move my guys in because we moved into the building about a week before the actual move so that we could finish things like cross connecting and patching and all of, all of that back room nonsense that is critical but is also really kind of takes away from the larger things that are happening so you really have to you, you really have to have a handle on, on kind of what you're doing 
from a holistic standpoint. You have to be able to back off, take a look at the whole picture, how are we doing? Then you have to be able to jump back in and get real tactical with what's going on, how you have to be able to pivot or change your plan based on furniture. Not We had a, a big weight on furniture, especially for conference tables. That was, a, that was a big issue. One of the issues that we had in this particular move, the conference tables were being built. So I couldn't have my audiovisual contractor install his equipment in the table itself because the tables didn't exist. Right. Well, all of that scheduling had to be redone on basically on the fly. And these guys were coming in from Virginia. So it wasn't, it's not like they were just down the block. But yeah, so they were coming in from out of state. Right. And you have to refigure out a plan on the fly, which is very, uh, especially with furniture, especially custom furniture, Mm -hmm. which can, if there is a delay, it can be a, a drastic delay. I remember one of my first I take like customer, very angry customer stories from back in the day when I worked at PC Mall many years ago. And I had a customer who was moving at the, I want to say it was like September 30th or something. And he was very clear with me for like eight weeks. Do not order the furniture until September 15th. And I'm like, you sure about that? Because, you know, it has six to eight week lead time. Don't do it. And he got all mad. So, you know, September 15th came around. I, I ordered the furniture. So September 18th comes around. Where's my furniture? And I'm like, guy... I literally have like a huge documentation trail with you stating yeah. not to order it until the 15th. So I'm glad that you were able to be able to still work it out with, with your folks coming in from Virginia. Uh, and you guys still hit the deadline for your users to be able to get up and running at the, uh, at the new location on time. Was that a, a success and on time? Technically, that solution wasn't delivered until a month after we were in the space. But we had a workaround to handle holding conferences. Perfect. Yeah. The big thing too is knowing your business. The last move that I did was for a different company and that was awful. It was a terrible experience. It ended up being a 40 hour day. Oh, wow. Because, yeah, because no one had taken into account that the servers needed to be in use until 1230 in the morning or something like that. <laughs> I had planned to move to start at 830. And so immediately we were four hours behind schedule. And that was a move that included not only a a building to building move, but a building to data center move all in the same night. All at the same time. Wow. Yeah. For even for IT, a 40 hour day is a long day. Yes. That's (laughs) that is deadliest catch days right there. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And you're not being able to have all the excitement of being on the the boat. Well, kind of. I mean, it's kind of like an analogy of a a very large shark coming at you, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. Yeah, except, you know, you're you're trying to ride the shark and, and get him installed into a, a new aquarium or something at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a perfect analogy. Everyone should be able to stay up, you know, keep up with that one. Yeah, I think I think it was perfect. I think it was really crystal clear. I'm really <laughs> proud of that one. I stayed up till about 3.30 working on that one just in case Great. it Good. came up in our conversation. So I'm pretty happy that it did. Otherwise, it would have been awkward. My wife was like, what are you doing on the phone? I'm like, just, you just got to trust me. I'm working on this cool shark analogy right now. So let me ask you, what is Vox 114? So, you know, it's an interesting because you have to go through a lot of ideas when you're coming up with a name for a podcast. And how I end up settling on Vox 114 specifically, have you ever seen the movie The Time Machine? Not the black and white version, but the one from, I think, 2001. I Maybe not specifically, but I know the story. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's based on the story. And uh, so in that movie, the uh, the professor from, you know, the 1800s, his girlfriend dies, and he ends up traveling into the future to figure out why you can't change the past. And when he goes into the future around, I want say like 2030, somewhere like that, he goes into the library in New York and he talks to the holographic artificial intelligence 
that is the librarian, essentially. And the librarian, the holographic artificial intelligence uh, librarian, is named Vox 114 and is an ultimate compendium of all human knowledge. And I thought it was a perfect fit for what we're doing with this podcast. Um, both one because of virtual reality, then artificial intelligence, where it's coming from, where we're going to with artificial intelligence over the next 10 to 20 years, how that's directly going to impact technology, IT, both from a career perspective as well as from a, an end user perspective. Uh, and then also because, it, you know, it's obviously the time machine kind of captures the long scope of time and evolution of changes that we see from a technology standpoint. Because with him, we went all the way back, you know, from the mid 1800s all the way to what the year eight, or something like that. Right. Uh, so sure. I just thought, so essentially to give a, a short answer on that, it, it was an artificial uh, intelligence that was holographically represented in the movie as the ultimate source of knowledge uh, for humanity. Got it. That was a very prepared answer. Yeah, and I haven't even thought about it yet, man. That was all in proceed. I probably should have stayed up till three thirty in the morning working on why I named it this instead of my cool shark analogy. <laughs> but you know, I guess that's one of the lessons I have to learn. <laughs> I was sure it was going to be like, oh, it's the first phone I used. <laughs> yeah, man. I thought I thought it was really good because you know, with the best audience that we have, our IT folks, people who are really interested in technology, who are in the trenches from day to day, it, it amused me, and I thought it was a perfect. A perfect sure. capture of the message here. That's fair. That all works. Yeah, man. Hey, good question. This is the first time somebody asked me a question back in return. <laughs> so with the talking about the move and, you know, you really highlighted and, and stressed a few times that the biggest benefit for you was really having a crystal clear understanding of your network and mm -hmm. the how everything holistically tied together. Would you say that is your biggest strength? in technology and IT that has helped you really be successful? Or what would you identify as your kind of your number one, if you had to put one above the other, your number one strength? My number one strength is being a people person. Okay. Especially in IT. You know, I think that, and this is something I've, I've told everyone that I've ever hired is that I can teach a monkey to fix a computer. I can't teach a monkey to deal with people. So from my standpoint, the most important thing that anyone can bring is a sense and an understanding of the, the human equation, you know, to have the soft skills. Because, I mean, a lot of these topics that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis can become very technical. And I'm sure that there are years of my childhood I've forgotten in exchange for knowing how IP addressing works, for instance. Right. I don't remember anything before 13, just so <laughs> you know. <laughs> But if you if you don't have the ability to walk into your CEO's office, especially my CEO, who's extremely inquisitive and has sort of a pamphlet understanding of IT and be able to communicate complex ideas, whether or not that is something he's interested in or you're trying to sell a project or you're talking about a five-year plan, if you can't communicate on their level, salespeople are a good example. Salespeople are notoriously non-technical. And so they just want stuff to work. Right. So you have to be able to, one, deal with sometimes, you know, emotional reactions when things don't work. You have to be able to diffuse that. You have to be able to have some sort of explanation of why something occurred, why it won't occur again because of the intervention you are taking. And then you have to be able to implement the solution. Implementing the solution was something I've always sort of had a knack to be able to do. 
And I grew up in theater. So understanding being a student of sort of the human condition is something I've been doing for, well, since I was seven. It's not the answer I expected, but it's an excellent, it's an excellent <laughs> answer. You know, you hit it really on the head, though, on the fact that you have to be able to bridge that gap with crystal clear communication of, especially when something goes wrong and your bosses are emotionally charged, right? People are down, your right. company is losing money and what happened, why did it happen, and how is it not going to happen again? And you have to be able to understand how to take that from a technical level and convey that over to them so they quickly understand and have confidence in you moving forward. Right. And of course, be able to implement that on the back end. Yeah. And it's also about, you know, selling your successes as well. You know, if, if you encounter some sort of outage, my environment is a, is a great example. My environment passed hands many times before I came on board. So there was a lot of sort of, you know, substandard IT that had gone on. And so there was a lot of exposure there as well. And that led to things like servers going down or the switch, the core wasn't, uh, wasn't stable because I discovered people had literally taken a, a port out of the patch panel into a twofer and gone into two switches in the same core. So that sounds legitimate. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, if you, if you get one gigabyte per second, <laughs> right. you, know, you have two. Right. Um, you get two, right? Or three even, you know, it's like compounding on itself. As the network sort of transformed into something that was reliable and fast, that's, that's something that you, you should be able to express. This is, this was our exposure or this is where we were deficient before, but now this is how we are proactive and proficient. You know, you hit on a really common point there too that so many folks in IT from a, a director or manager point of view have to deal with is taking over a new network. That was poorly managed or poorly administered before you took over, maybe by one person or by multiple people, and you come into a disaster. You have no idea what you're coming into, sure. what you st- where you stand licensing-wise. Right. You know, like you said, there's from a networking perspective, a disaster recovery perspective, everything is just kind of hodgepodge together. And to be able to figure out, one, where do we sit today? Where are our largest vulnerabilities? And then also, I think probably a large challenge here, and a lot of times you walk into an environment like that, and the previous person might have been so poor at explaining and communicating why you need to make the investment of the company into technology, into staying secure, into making sure your your network is bulletproof. The company's not used to spending money on, on projects right. and, and capital expenses. And now you have to come in and both be able to understand where do you sit, what's our largest vulnerabilities that we can tackle first, and then also be able to understand how to communicate that and properly move that forward. And then, like you said, be able to catalog that success so they understand how far you've come even when you run into new challenges moving forward. Sure. That's always a big challenge for folks when they come in. And it actually it reminds me of a question I would wanted to ask you too. Is when you get audited from Microsoft, especially when you have limited visibility into a new network as you take over... How do you do that without your head exploding? How do you get through that? Because <laughs> Microsoft's everyone's friend. Honestly, uh, the first time that happened, I uh, waited for them to keep providing me different credentials to buy me more time. You know, I accused them of of being strangers in a strange land, basically. Which is a valid concern as well. Yes. So they, they have to reply to that. <laughs> and it buys you a little time as well. <laughs> yeah, and then you actually helped me overcome that. I don't know how much of your world you're bringing into your podcast, but we did. Yeah, you, what we did, you know, from my perspective, and I haven't utilized this uh, the platform too much to talk about directly what I do because I want to really highlight 
your experiences and strengths and sure. where you've gone. But in that specific scenario, I know from my perspective with Microsoft Audit, and I've helped probably 65 people go through Microsoft audits. And I always joke with people that I know more about Microsoft licensing than any human alive should. <laughs> I don't know if it's funny or sad, but <laughs> that's, what, that's what happens over the years. And you know, now it's pretty handy with Microsoft that you can be able to pull a report on everything licensing tied to a domain, figure out exactly where you sit, regardless if it's tied through your MVLS site or not, and then be able to move forward. And one piece of advice, and we're talking about Microsoft licensing, and Microsoft still does this for some reason. When a Microsoft audit asks you to list every single serial key for all of your end user machines, for all of your Windows 10, Windows 7 machines, you don't have them. They do not provide them when you buy an OEM machine. So all you need to do is provide the serial numbers, the original invoice, or the service tag of Stell, for example, to them on the audit report. Tell them to look it up themselves, and they will go away and take that as a satisfactory answer. Just right. so everybody knows, because <laughs> for some reason, Microsoft has not realized that Microsoft stopped providing serial keys a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's it's an important point, not necessarily to sell your services, but when, you, when you're when you in an, an environment where you're, you're just trying to figure out what the shape of the world is, you have to be able to, one, you have to be able to admit to yourself that you there's no way that one person can encompass all of that. So you have to be able to rely on strong people. You have to be able to cede those responsibilities out to other people. Now, whether that's internal staff or vendors, I like to surround myself with good people on both sides of that coin. So, you know, there are a lot of circumstances where I, you know, I do, I'll lay on you as an example, because I don't want, I don't want that knowledge. I don't have enough space for that knowledge. <laughs> I don't even want to know. <laughs> and typically, I don't have time to deal with with the understanding, coming to, right. coming to understand those things. Right, like, like trying to master Microsoft licensing or anything that's right. outside of your general scope of having to understand at a really technical level. And that's a really big benefit for you, especially when things started running behind right. uh, to be able to rely on them for their expertise as well. So it's a really big benefit. And, Besides relying on vendors and partners for some of that extra additional resources, which, which is so instrumental, what have you found to be the best resource for you when you're looking to stay current on new technologies or evolving security threats? Where, where do you go for kind of that newest information or to kind of always stay current? Well, the answer to that is probably pretty personal and particular to, to each person. What I typically do is I have in teams, for instance, I have in my different channels, you can set up different feeds that automatically will blast current articles into a channel on a regular basis. And I do that daily. So I have a security feed where it'll send me the top four articles on IT security and what's going on today. And uh, the same thing for ITIL, for example, and anything service related. I also have in our teams, we've set up a whole public IT channel. It includes everybody in the company. And we use that channel to send out announcements. People can ask questions if they have suggestions. All of that gets captured in that channel. But I also have some channels that are just there for informational purposes. Real kind of basic nuts and bolts. How do you do stuff that populates that channel for a lot? Of, in our case, a, a large number of users are nurses. So again, another industry that's not you wouldn't necessarily tie to technology or being technically proficient. And make it easy for them, right? 
Yeah. I also do a lot of, I'm a plural site member. I love to gain new information, new knowledge as I can. So it's partially about getting hit with a news blast that might clue me in on, of the existence of something I wasn't aware of before. And then I'll take that and search through other channels, whether it's training or user groups or, Hey, have you heard of this? Or what does this look like in your world? What is your, what do you think about bringing this to the environment? So it's, it's very collaborative. Yeah, definitely being able to go after different sources. And I like the team's idea. That's really great. And then also be able to utilize that for, like you said, for your non-technical users as well and give them a, a one-stop place to be able to go and stay current, up-to-date and make their yep. job as easy as possible from an IT perspective. And, you know, that being said, users are really great at technology. I mean, every user and every company is just <laughs> intuitively awesome at IT, are they not? I mean... Well, and I don't, I don't expect users to really <laughs> be able to shoulder that. I don't, you know, but there is, there's this funny phenomenon where users, especially the more sort of non-technical they are, if they find out that you are technical, they will suddenly expect you to be able to know everything. Right. About any technology just because you're technical. So. Right. You're the computer person. <laughs> yes. So you must know about everything. And I, and the analogy that I've, I've given back to users is, I'll tell them, you know how to speak English, yes. And they'll say, yeah, of course. And I'll say, okay, good. Do you know every language in the world then? Just right. to sort of give them awareness that, you know, it's like being a lawyer. If you specialize in whatever family law, you're not going to be as good in copyright law. You know, and technology is, is no different. Right. That's a, that's a good analogy with being a lawyer as well. And, you know, with the knowing every language in the world, I took Rosetta Stone for a couple of weeks with, with Spanish. <laughs> so I would say I'm, I'm pretty much a linguistic master at this point. Oh. Yeah, you went to the Rosetta Stone school. Yeah, I can Tennessee. say I can say like milk and horse and stuff like that. So <laughs> I could pretty much get my way through about fifteen minutes and you know. Sure. S O C K S. There was that old radio commercial. I don't remember what that stood for or what that means, what it stands for, like it's an acronym. It can it can stand for anything that you want it to stand for, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of America. <laughs> <laughs> And then we could be offended by it too if we wanted to. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty excited about that. So as the primary security officer for your environment, uh -huh. right now going into 2020, let me ask, do you prefer 2020 or 2020? 2020. 2020. I'm kind of drifting towards 2022 to get off topic here. But you know, like 10 years ago, I thought I was going to say 2020. Now as we get closer, I'm drifting closer to 2020. I feel like that takes too long to say it the other way. It does take too long, right? And, you know, now people are making jokes about getting into the Roaring Twenties. I'm like, the last right. time the Roaring Twenties, we weren't doing so hot, you know, going into the Twenties. <laughs> we had the Great Depression. People were living to like, like 55 years old. Yeah. I'm, like, mm -hmm. I'm not Roaring. Grapes not, Wrath. Right. I'm not feeling <laughs> it. But anyway, as the primary security officer for your environment, what do you view as the largest or most direct security threat facing a, a network or, or IT folks today? People, you know, it always comes down to people. Really, anti-malware and antivirus heuristics are pretty good. There's always going to be some zero-day garbage that some 12-year-old in Russia puts out, you know, that will be the next challenging thing for the, the, the couple of hours when it's new and then Kaspersky or Norton or, you know, somebody, I mean, they're, they're really on top of that kind of stuff. But what's the unsolvable, the unknowable factor is always people. 
someone that goes into a washroom and sees a flash drive. Well, what's on this? And I'll plug it into my computer that's hooked into the environment. Mm -hmm. And they've been installing something or phishing scams. For a long time, phishing in email was pretty easy to spot because it was always like English as a second language. Rosetta Stone. So precise or it was just different enough to be weird. Yes. Hello, Mr. Good Day. <laughs> then it then it moved to spoofing names. Like somebody got a hold of a mailing list at some point. So we were we talked specifically about us. We were getting email that was quote unquote from the CEO, different right. email address, mm-hmm. but saying, I have how do they word it? It's like I have a special project for you. I've seen it exactly. Yeah, yeah. gift cards or yes. something like that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of that, a really huge increase in that over the last twelve to twenty four months. And then yeah. over the last twelve months, they're actually getting to the point now I've seen a lot of spoofed emails where yep. as far as visually looking at it, it came from your CEO from that right. person's email address. And that gets really clever. And then the only thing you can rely on a lot of times is user awareness, user education. Uh-huh. You know, this seems odd that suddenly the CEO is asking me to buy $600 in Walmart gift cards for them. Right. And being able to tackle that from a user perspective. What have you taken as a strategy to make sure you use it? Is that one of the things that you share as far as article-wise? Oh, yeah. We have touch points with the users on a regular basis when it comes to disseminating that kind of information. But we also run phishing campaigns where we'll we'll construct an American Express email. And we use some pretty sophisticated setups that we, we contract a lot of it out, but we're coming up with content. And then we'll pick, we won't just blast the whole company. We'll pick specific people that don't necessarily talk in a day-to-day so they can't hear, hey, did you get this email? Right, make it seem more personal to them, kind of more isolated of an email to them versus yeah, one person asking their friend. Yeah, and it's really, I'm sure there, there will be different avenues and ways to disseminate information like this, but it's from our standpoint right now, it's just really about hammering that information. But even so, we had one person fall for that gift card scam and buy a thousand dollars worth of itunes gift cards ouch yeah and then there we caught somebody in line like we, another one of these things had come out and the person was in line at walgreens oh wow yeah so you know that's sort of the scary thing because you don't there's no feedback mechanism by which you know how effective your communication is to your users. Right, exactly. That was sort of the, one of the impetus for creating that public IT channel. So now I can email something out. I can give a notification that, no, our CEO does not want you to, to go out and buy iTunes gift cards. And I'll throw it in Teams so that they get a notification that there's, oh, there's something new in public IT. Let me take a look. Oh, it's this, this same notification. So it's we're just trying to diversify our exposure because people take in information in different ways. Some people are really visual and they like to read through that sort of thing. Some people like to hear it. It's trying to address all of those different holes because that's truly, that's the one thing I can't engineer. I can't engineer somebody's understanding of their importance and the intellectual property that they have the ability really to kind of just spill all over the internet if they're not careful about what they do or what network they connect to or what email they respond to. Right. Being able to communicate, essentially blindly communicate because you don't know. It's not like directly speaking, pitching a new solution or something like that to a CEO. 
you're not getting direct feedback. You like you said, you don't know how everybody is truly understanding the warnings you're giving them. So a, a big challenge there, I can imagine. How do you see with artificial intelligence where it is today and continue to progress both for good and for bad? Do you see that having a direct impact both on the evolution of how attackers come after users as well as how networks can prevent attacks like that? What's your thoughts on artificial intelligence today? Well, I think that probably the the hackers are going to continue to try to chisel away at at people, especially in the time of deep fakes now where they can create videos of somebody saying something they didn't say. Those are amazing. Amazing and scary. There's what's to stop someone from getting all of the conferences our CEO is given just to get his speech, sections of his speech out, and then calling people, creating an art and AI set of instructions with a script on, okay, now we're, we're going to move past the email thing. Now it's going to come in, in Kim's voice and he's going to be specifically talking about what he wants people to do. Well, that brings it to a completely different level, like you said, of scariness and, right. and of danger. Those deep fake videos are incredible. It's amazing. And they're relatively new. I mean, they're they're just starting to develop. In the next 10, 20 years, those are going to be a very scary and sometimes entertaining technology (laughs) uh, as they progress. I've seen some celebrities doing some stuff, and I was like, that's brilliant. This is worth the risk to humanity that I got to have a chuckle (laughs) for a minute. So I think it's a good, fair trade-off. So we'll be all Uh, right. (laughs) Yeah, it's what it's going to probably do is necessitate the invention of, of new ways to authenticate that you are who you say you are. It'll be interesting. It's definitely curious what we see over the next couple of years. It's going to be an interesting time. So that all being said, everything we've talked about today and kind of in closing here, what advice would you give to younger folks who are starting in IT today, keeping everything in mind that we've talked about, both from a security side and artificial intelligence side and being able to properly communicate your vision what advice for those younger folks? What would you What would you give them? Well, from my standpoint, in ITIL, one of the precepts of ITIL is that everyone is in the service industry. It doesn't matter what department you're in or what your your function is for the company that you work for. Everyone is serving, whether it's the external client or you're serving an in- internal department. Or in the case of IT, you're sort of servicing everybody. It's all about service. And from my standpoint, that means it's all about people. If you look at what Microsoft is doing, I just went to Microsoft Ignite in September. No, no, November. And one of the big things they're thrilled about is power apps, a low-code solution to creating software solutions, basically limited only by your imagination and able to be built by non-developers. And that is the trend that I think everyone's going to see over the next 10 years. It's going to get easier and easier and software developers are going to get more and more specialized as technology becomes easier to use. That means again, it falls back on people. Microsoft is talking about flow. That's their big, big buzzword. Now keeping you in your flow. It's about making technology work with you as a person. So you have to be able to understand people. You have to be able to to master communication and and be able to hand off an idea and, and have someone run with it or understand it or understand where you're going with it. There still is a place for the deep dive technical wizards that I'm sure everyone in the audience has exposure to. There's probably one or two people 
that just they they really take the ball and they want to know the minutia, how the chip is communicating across the North Bridge or or anything. They know all of the little bits of how that happens. And I think that there's always going to be a place for that because I think those are the people driving innovation. But when you really get down to being an effect, effective in IT and information technology in the age that's coming, it's, it's going to be all about service and people. So not even just focusing, like you said, on, on hard skills, you know, technical training, technical certifications, which so many IT folks do. Because, you know, obviously you want to make sure you can support your network, but mm-hmm. really making sure you expand your abilities and, and your knowledge of communication and your soft skills is definitely your biggest piece of advice there. And really instrumental, like you said, it, you have to be able to convey and understand. Your users have to understand you and you have to understand them. And going back to the user vulnerability and users being targeted, you have to understand where they're coming from with a layman perspective and be able to still properly convey all that information over to them to best protect your network. Otherwise, you could be the most technical person in the world, but with things evolving as they are, if you don't know how to communicate that, you're definitely going to have your challenges. Yeah, I mean, we're, it's the day and age now where laptops or giving an employee a computer is basically giving them the power to completely destroy your company. So right. you have to, they have to understand, you have to be able to communicate and pass along that understanding of, of how important good practices are, good communication is, and really truly being a partner in business and where it goes. We all need to take ownership. Hey, Tony, again, I appreciate you coming on. I know you've had a lot going on, especially in the year. My pleasure. Thanks, John. And good luck. Uh, good luck with your podcast. I think it's a great idea. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us this week on the Vox 114 Technology Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, vox114.com. That is vox114.com where you can listen to our full archive of episodes, check out our members-only content, and subscribe so you'll never miss a show again. While you're online doing internet things, if you found value in this show, leave us a rating on iTunes or tell a friend about the show. All of your friends, or even people you don't like, telling them is okay too. Tune in each week for our next episode, and remember... If you don't like the answer, perhaps you need to find a new way of asking the question.